Hello, folks, and welcome to episode 19 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, we got some good news this week uh, regarding hockey, but uh, let's start it off with you. How's your week going? How's everything uh, out your way? Yeah, this is what we've been waiting for, man. Um, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. This week was a lot of holiday baking so my house smells like still smells like sweets baking and everything like that and christmas is in full swing over here so that's that's always something to look forward to how about you man oh you know it's been uh it's been a busy busy week for us here in london um obviously you know we went back uh we're we're starting uh i guess we hit red starting tomorrow or -hmm. starting monday rather uh, so we're, um, you know, things are things are tightening up a little bit here, but uh, Christmas shopping is done. I think this is the first year I did everything online, um, but it made it a lot easier not having to go out to any malls or anything. But for sure, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's my little guy's first Christmas, and excited to share that stuff with him. Wanted to make it count, and thank God for like you know the curbside pickup. <clears throat> I mean, that is just. I mean that's that's like the that's like the best thing that happened this whole entire year. Like you know you still want to support the businesses and everything like that, but if there's curbside pickup, that just saves you from going in having to deal with all the you know anxieties of what's going on right now. But I'm glad everything's working out for you, and I'm glad that your little guy gets to have you know a very momentous first Christmas despite you know the times that we're living in right now. You're making it really special for him. Absolutely, and um, you know you kind of mentioned it. I, I wanted to mention it off the top, like. I think this is the first year as well that my wife and I have completely supported local uh, businesses. And that's kind of what we were trying to do this year. Uh, you know, local clothing shops and stuff like that, that uh, make their own sweaters and, and do a great job doing it as well. So it's top notch product for, for, for a good price. And, and you're support supporting somebody who's, who's decided to get their, uh, their, their own business off the ground. And that's, uh, that's an exciting part for us this year as well. Mm-hmm. Very. But that said, we still got a couple weeks till Christmas. Mm-hmm. The big news is that we are going to have NHL hockey this year. Yes. Um, I, I don't know what's the NHL, man. Oh, it's it's been it's been far too long. Um, <laughs> you know, even even in my keeper league, everyone's been kind of itching to get things going again with the fantasy leagues, and yeah, I kind of kept putting it off, putting it off, saying you know wait till wait till we uh, know exactly we, when we have a start date. But it looks as though the NHL is inching towards a January thirteenth season opening night. Mm-hmm. And. I mean, just that alone is is exciting, but there's a lot to talk about surrounding this this possible season start and the shortened season. They're they're talking 56 games, a division realignment, which we've yeah. uh, we, which we'll get into. Um, but how what 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 kind of feelings are going through your body right now, knowing that there's going to be NHL hockey in the new year? Well, first off, like you, with the, I know we I, we mentioned it uh, a few weeks ago when we had Ryan Kennedy on. I already got my uh, hockey news fantasy guidebook with like you know hundreds of pages of player profiles, their mock draft or their fantasy drafts and everything like that. So I was ready, 
in case that was going to start up just in case. And now that we have sort of like a, a potential startup date, even if it's not January 13th, it's hovering around that area. So like you, I'm already prepping for fantasy hockey and I'm hoping that even if it's going to be a shortened season, I'm still going to like have a good time, have fun because that's what it's all about. Right. Overall, I'm, it's just the excitement. I mean, any time, because this kind of has like a lockout feel to it. And I'm not saying that they, like it was going to be a lockout, but there was the whole issue about them possibly trying to change the whole um, financial aspect of things where they wanted players to give up more as a part of like the NHL escrow. There was that whole financial dispute where they're trying to change the negotiations for that. NHL said they're not doing that. We're so focusing on that. That's been put to rest. There are no financial issues to talk about whatsoever. That's going to be done at a later date. So thank God for that because that's always a major issue when it comes to players, owners, and everything like that. But now that they settled that aside, they have a start date planned. I'm really excited because, I, I, again, like I said before, it's a lockout kind of feel. We didn't know whether it was going to happen or not. A lot of unknowns, especially now in the second wave where, you know, it's being hit hard in the U.S. and even hit being hit hard here. Players are coming back from Europe and uh, other places because of loans and stuff like that. They want to be in quarantine or follow the team quarantine rules as best as possible. So that way when can't open up, they're all good. And it's, it, you can't help but feel excited no matter what. I mean, even right now with basketball starting up, I, I honestly completely forgot that preseason started for basketball right now. I'm scrolling through the TV and I see NBA preseason. So I'm like, Oh crap. Okay. There's sports now. So now we're getting into the motion where there's a lot more to talk about, a lot more to watch. And I, again, like you, I'm just really excited about this, man. Yeah, no, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be more excited. I was, you know, I got a little worried. Uh, I mentioned to you that, you know, bought myself a little Christmas gift, Joe Thornton, uh, oh, yeah. jersey. I'm ready to unveil that uh, on Instagram any day now. But <laughs> um, my, my thing is like, I was, I was getting a little worried that, hey, I had purchased this, uh, this thing and, uh, you know. My wife was saying, well, he hasn't even played a game in Toronto yet. And yeah. I, I was starting to think, hey, she might be right. He might never play a game in Toronto. I uh, signed a one-year deal. And, you know, if this if this season doesn't start, then what? Um, yeah. But, uh, no, I, I'm excited to get the puck dropped and uh, get this season going. And I think, you know, I, I think they came to uh, came to an agreement in that, you know, players obviously didn't want to give up their Christmases with their families. Yeah. Um, or their holidays with their families, rather. And, uh, you know, I think it got to a point where, um, you know, the league said, OK, you know what, we can we can push a little further into into January and mm -hmm. it's going to work out for both sides in the end. And, and, you know, 56 game season is enough to to kind of, uh, you know, see where teams are at and, and have the right teams make the playoffs. Um, and, you know, I think it's the perfect amount to kind of get get this season done get into the playoffs finish the playoffs and hopefully by 2021 uh or sorry 21 22 you know we're back to uh a little um obviously i mentioned division realignment and mm -hmm. um we'll get a little bit more into it with the maple leaf talk but um some interesting realignment to to try and you know, minimize the travel um, and allow for teams to be, uh, you know, 
still play against familiar foes, but also add like maybe new rivalries to the to the league as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's honestly I'm still not a fan of the whole four division thing. I'd rather do the conference. I mean, I'm looking at playoff projections, but the way that they lined it up right now seems it seems like it could work. They are again, they're trying to minimize the travel with everything going on. And yeah, it's it's very interesting. And I'm, I know we're going to talk about this with Elise as well, but that Canadian division, man, I'm really excited for that because I, I'm pretty sure everybody's excited for it. I haven't seen one bad take on the Canadian division. I know Cicero uh, tweeted out, I think it was a couple days ago, saying that, you know, it's great that they did this this one time, but maybe they should keep this going forward. You would get more of those, like, Canadian matchups. You would get the Toronto-Montreal rivalry more often. I mean, we already had it because they're already in the uh, Atlantic Division. Same with Ottawa. But to face, possibly face them or the other teams more so often, you could have a rivalry. You could see more of that rivalry between maybe Toronto and Edmonton, you know? You got Matthews and McDavid. You got Marner and Dreisaitl. I mean, and it, like, you want to have those kind of superstar matchups and those kind of games going for you. So I'm really excited with how they did that. Um, I mean, you're going to have the one team always stay at the top, right? But it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm really looking forward to how this is going to play out. And again, like I said, I really love this Canadian division. I was going to say, like you, you kind of touched on a little bit, but. You know, you get more more Matthew to Chuck in Canada. You get more um, more Brady to Chuck in Canada. You get more more Bo Horvat, Elias Pettersson. Yeah. Um, you know, um, you get more uh, McDavid, as you mentioned, more Drysaddle. So the 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 whole feel of getting more of this talent throughout Canada, rather than you know jumping to the states all the time. Um, you know, it might, I personally, I think it's going to be great for, for hockey to have that Canadian division. Um, is it something that we're going to probably see going forward? I doubt it. Uh, just because you're talking about the West coast teams and the travel there, but Mm -hmm. you know, that being said, you look at a team like the Winnipeg jets and over the last two or three years, they're the most traveled team. Um, they, they've, they've put on a lot of mileage and, uh, you know, that can, that can wear on a team as well. So it might be something that's considered. Um, but for the time being for this 56 game season or whatever it's going to be, uh, I think it's the perfect, uh, perfect division to, to get it, get in the, the NHL. And I think it's going to be really exciting to watch, uh, what, watch what's going to happen. And then you're guaranteed Canadian teams in the playoffs. Oh yeah, absolutely. Instead of just having one <clears throat> or two, you could have now four as opposed to like, you know, the minimal amount that we saw before. And just going back on what you said about like the whole like it could wear on the travel like the travel aspect could wear on teams and I do agree with that, but I want to know if this serves as sort of like a opening like a door opening to the NHL actually trying to restructure everything and I'm thinking that maybe this Canadian division is something that could potentially work in their favor from a business perspective, and I'm. I want to. I, I, if they, I, I don't know if. I mean, it makes sense that they did it this year because of the pandemic, but going forward, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm really, I'm really going to be focusing in on that right now. 
Yeah, now jumping over to the the Vegas Golden Knights, obviously as we go, mm-hmm. we're going to have a lot of player news kind of hitting the the airways. A lot of rumors still with with the cap being so stale. Um, but uh, there has been has been talk about the Vegas Golden Knights possibly shopping um, Max Pacioretty and Jonathan Marchessault. Um, obviously, a team that they they signed Alex Petrangelo to a to a massive contract. Um, this is a team that you you know uh, I think is going to be in a little bit of cap trouble. I mean, we talk mm-hmm. about it with the lease a lot. That that flat cap really hurt them um, in terms of trying to make a make a move in free agency. And and the thing is, Vegas did make that move. They did sign Petrangelo. They did sign him to that big contract. And now they're going to see a little bit of the repercussions to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hence why we see the discussions about Pacioretty and Marcheseau. That being said, um, the Vegas Golden Knights owner, Bill Foley, came out and did say that uh, in no way are they thinking of of uh, moving patches. Uh, actually, the quote is, we're not chopping patches. We do have cap issues, and so some of um, and so some of those things have to be resolved as we go forward. Mm-hmm. We started getting into the season, but he uh, he definitely is not being shopped. So, I mean, that's read into it as you will. Um, at a certain point, regardless of whether you want to shop a guy or not, if the right contract comes along. Um, obviously you're going to be looking to make that move, especially when you're, when you're, you know, running into cap issues, the way that the, the Golden Knights will moving forward. Um, you know, we saw them trade a guy like Nate Schmidt for absolutely nothing, um, to, to make room for Petrangelo. And, and, you know, I think at a certain point, they're going to have to move that one of those forwards who, who are impact players for this team. Yeah, you just mentioned it, the cap crunch and everything, and maybe not now, but at some point. And I don't under, like, I understand the possibility of moving one of the two and even throwing in Marc-Andre Fleury because we know his name's been floated around before. But at this point right now, I don't know how this became a rumor. I mean, again, financial situation, I totally get it. But you're in a position right now where you're in win-now mode. And I understand you don't want to try and mess the dynamic of the team because you have Marcheseau who's, you know, like he can at least get you 60 points. Pacioretty can still get you 30 goals. So you take one of those two players out and it leaves a hole that you need to fill right now. You already have chemistry with this group right now. You already brought in Stone who had a phenomenal year. You brought in Petrangelo who's, you know, one of the top five defensemen in the league right now. Great players but I don't see it happening this point if you're trying to win a cup because both are going to be impact players no matter what. And there's a great article on NBC Sports how Marshall does serve as a better option to trade Pacioretty, mainly because of the contract. I mean, you would rather try to move a $5 million contract in Marshall than you would $7 million in Pacioretty. So... And not only that, you know, uh, it also explains that Marshall is younger. Pacioretty is a little bit on the older side. There's less less of that risk involved when you're trying to negotiate and get a better deal. So it, it's an interesting, again, another interesting situation that's unfolding in Vegas right now. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know how Vegas fans are taking it, but this is something that I would be hesitant for the time being. 
kind of I'm not trying to throw William Nylander into this situation, but it's similar to what Toronto has with that and everyone, the rumors about William Nylander possibly trading since the contract negotiation that he was going through. It's if and even they're not going to trade him right now, but if at some point down the line, his contract is movable, you can move that. That is a team friendly contract right now. So it's they're in a really uh, really difficult not again not difficult but interesting situation down the line if they have to play that game because after this year if the cap is going up I doubt it will because if they, based on the projections for what they had in mind at the beginning when they created this new CBA if the cap does increase it'll both go well in Vegas's favor and maybe they could have some leeway in keeping both but if it's a very slow increment then yeah they're gonna have to like make a move yeah, I think, uh, I mean, you nailed it kind of on the head there. Uh, it's it's going to come down to what they need to do moving forward. And, and I do think we're going to see a cap increase over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's going to what's going to play into that is whether whether we can get fans back into the uh, the arenas. And we didn't talk about it last last episode, but um, there are some teams that are looking to try and play some games outdoors to get fans in the seats. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the four specifically uh, were named, but you know, I, I think that's what it's going to come down to. If you can, if you can start to, to increase the revenue as a league, um, I think you're not going to have that same issue, uh, you know, that, you know, we're, we're seeing with, with the cap right now. And that, and that's the problem is the cap right now is, is stagnant because there isn't that, that full-time revenue. Sure. The, mm-hmm. the league's making money off of, you know, um, uh, jersey deals. sales, D- TV deals, that kind of stuff, but it's not—it's not to the same extent that you're you're getting off of you know like four hundred dollar ticket sales. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's gonna that's gonna play a huge role, and uh, obviously, you know, obviously the league's gonna have to uh, kind of analyze that uh, moving forward and see where the the cap's gonna go, and and teams are gonna have to play off of that. This kind of, I. This kind of serves as a good segue because we're still talking about the cap. I mean, NHL recently came out saying that they're thinking about putting ads on helmets. And I'm just curious what your take is, is, on, is on that, because if this is a great if this could serve as a way to increase revenue for teams, then it may help their financial structure or situation even more for the teams, for the league and everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. And um you know, personally, I, I, I like the ads on the helmets better than I like the ads on the jerseys. Yes. I think the ads on the jerseys, you're taking away from what the team is about. You're taking away from the player themselves. I think you put the ads on the helmets and, and you're talking about a different story. That being said, I don't want to see an overload. I don't want to see it like somebody's bumper sticker uh, mm-hmm. or, or somebody's bumper full of stickers that uh, of cities they've traveled around. You know, I, I want to see maybe one or two, one in each side. Um, and that can kind of you know, change, you know, add a little bit of, uh, of revenue to the league. Um, uh, and, uh, that said, I don't want to see it on, on goalie, uh, helmets either. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot they have to look at. Um, you know, part of, part of a goalie's helmet is, is that they're, uh, you know, they're trying to express themselves and express who they are through their their goalie mask and i think that's part of the uh, the beauty of the mass uh, when you're when you're a goaltender um 
but I do think ads on the helmets is something that we will see moving forward. Um, obviously, other leagues like the NBA, they can't do things like that. They don't have that extra, you know, equipment to put on, uh, yeah. put ads on. So, you know, you, that's why you're seeing it on the jerseys. I don't have an issue with that. If you're having one ad on on the the, the chest of the jersey, it's not the end of the world. That mm-hmm. said, if you're if you're the NHL and you can put on the helmets rather than the jerseys, I think that's a great idea. It's a great alternative to what could possibly be. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that because I mean, when we when we watch international hockey, world hockey championships and everything like that, you see ads on the teams. They have the little like, you know, Zepter logo or Zepter ad on the helmet. Um I uh to show that, you know, the advertising and everything like that to help uh, you know, grow the international game, I I assume. So you see a little bit of that when the players come on. If it becomes at a point where, you know, they do go to the jersey and it's only like one logo again like you i'm totally fine with that we see that in the nba as you mentioned it's if it becomes sort of like you know what if if it's just like a mashup of logos that just becomes like too much of an eyesore for me and like you said it takes away from what like you know it takes away from the true meaning of like the actual logo what the team means to the players and everything like that so it's yeah, I, I, I know I'm repeating with what you said because I agree with it. It's just it, it, it's a really interesting scenario that if if this is a great way to make revenue, fine, just don't overload it. Exactly. Yeah, and it's it's got to be it's got to be worked down to a science before they even move forward with it. But it's something that, uh, you know, they, they definitely need to look at in possibly investing in, um, especially if you want to see the revenue kind of climb uh, after you know, taking that big hit with, with, uh, the pandemic happening. Right. So definitely, definitely worth a thought, but, um, you know, I'm excited to see what they do moving forward. I just, I I really do hope that they, they stay away from the jerseys and kind of focus on the helmets at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, going off of that and still kind of along the same idea of, of the cap, uh, you, you kind of mentioned an article about, uh, from the score about player exemptions and the rule, um, that they could possibly institute a player exemption rule that would exempt one player on each squad from kind of falling into that the 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 cap calculus. Yeah. Um and I was just kind of I was quickly going over that article and just giving it a quick read and I'm they use the Chicago Blackhawks as a possible as an example um yeah. of of a team that you know could really benefit from this rule mm-hmm. um and i i i understand where they're coming from in, in suggesting the possibility of of moving this way that said i think this is a temporary fix um i think it's a temporary fix right now where the cap is is you know almost putting a stranglehold on certain clubs and the reason i say it's a temporary fix is because i think a lot of teams have um, a lot of teams are in that this a similar position, but every team knew going forward that uh, you know any any kind of hit to the financial side of the game, the business side of the game, and your cap is gonna stay stagnant. And I think the problem here is that teams know or teams knew, all about the hard cap of the NHL. That's what makes the NHL. That's what makes the parody of the NHL. You don't see that same parody in in, in leagues like the MLB, 
yeah. like the NBA because they have such a soft cap. They have that luxury tax where, yes, you can go over the cap. You can pay guys, you know, an arm and a leg to come play for your team, and you just have to pay a, a luxury tax. And I think before you even go down this road with this player exemption rule, you have to analyze other possibilities. So maybe you have a soft cap with the with the um, luxury tax. I still, I, me personally, I'm not a fan of it. I think the hard cap is exactly what the league needs to create that parity to give every team a chance to keep all fan bases interested and invested throughout the year. Yeah, you're going to have years where you have a team like the Ottawa Senators that, you know, you know, finish dead last. And, and you know that from the get-go, just based on what players are, are lining up at the face-off dot every, every night. Um, but that said, that's where, you know, you can really see how a team builds uh, through the draft and through free agency and making the right moves and having the right GM in place. That's the whole point of the game. The whole business behind the game is to, to build your team and build a roster that can win the game. If you can just go out and buy players, what's the point of even having – you're going to see teams like – you might as well take away, um, you know, teams kind of profiting off of other teams' profits, right? Like right now, a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, they could go out and they could buy basically anybody like they used to. The New mm-hmm. York Rangers, they went out and bought every grizzled vet that, you know, was a big name. Like we're talking Bobby Holik at some point. Yeah. Like they, they went out and bought their players. And at that point, it was okay because their profits were were theirs. They weren't they weren't sharing it league wide. And I think now if you, you see that and teams are still gonna be able to go out and buy players and they'll be willing to pay that luxury tax. So, for example, the Leafs, you know, they haven't had a Stanley Cup since 1967. Are they willing to pay a luxury tax to go out and win a cup? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this kind of this this player exemption rule fall, falls under the same window because then you're talking about a guy like Connor McDavid. Is he is he exempt? Is you know, can you exempt, can you, can you put Matthews on the exemption uh, list? Um, and, and I think that's where you have to kind of get down and, and really file this down with a fine, fine, um, you know, I, you just have to, you have to analyze every aspect of this rule before you even consider instituting something like this. And I, I, I personally think when you, when you talked about the CBA way back, when you, when you, you know, introduced the salary cap, you did it in a way that you wanted to create parity in the league so that yeah. every team could be successful. Teams have now gone through rebuilds. And at this point in time, it's Chicago's turn to go through a rebuild. Why are we looking at a, at a way to kind of make them... Um, still competitive. Still competitive, sense. yeah. When, when you know what, they've had their years where they were competitive and they won a couple Stanley Cups in that, in that span. Now is, now is the time to kind of rewind sit back, figure out what you're going to do through the draft. And they've already done that. They've got Kirby mm-hmm. Doc. They've got guys like that that are going to add to them in a couple of years. They just have to wait their time out again to get to, to be successful again. We're going to get to more on Kirby Doc later on. But I, I yeah, you know, I, I do agree. And, and this is sort of like when we talked about like the whole cap situation or the salary cap and try to change it. It's sort of like as different perspectives on trying to see if there's ways to improve it. 
and that's why this one this one player exemption caught my eye because it kind of relates to as a do not touch or not necessarily a do not touch do not trade kind of rule but it allows them to like you said to put him aside if you have austin matthews and his 11.6 million uh contract that 11.6 won't count against the cap and you could use that elsewhere and i understand where you're coming from because one of the drawbacks in that article is also the whole um it's going from the whole we aspect to me and it's putting emphasis that they're prioritizing one player as opposed to the rest of the team and that's where you talked about the parody and i do agree with that um considering that it is a team sport it's a it's a team's cap everyone should be accounted for no matter what but it does seem plausible to work out if i know you may touch up on the ottawa senators but let's say ottawa does get to a point where you know they are competitive and they've been in the basement for so long and they want to remain there if they happen to give tim stutzla a 10 11 million dollar contract at some point down the line i'm just spitballing here because he could you know he, he he is a very good player he could possibly earn that much i don't know but let's say they do give him 10 11 million dollars they could use that 10 million elsewhere if he's exempted from that. It's I'm not saying it's going to happen. It's just a very interesting perspective because they even mentioned that Nathan McKinnon, you know, he's I know he said that maybe he would like to take less. I believe that's what he said. Don't quote me on that. I'm I'm probably reading it from somewhere else. But if he does get a pay raise, even if it's like even if it goes to like uh, Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid territory, because, you know, he full heartily deserves it it does help them out because they've been in the basement for so long in the in the past few years they want to remain at the top and that would kind of help them out with their situation but again i'm it's intriguing it's it's another way of trying to look at it from a different perspective and that's why it really caught my eye because it it kind of also reminds me of like the time not necessarily the times in nhl like the ea games where you know you had to fix the cap and everything like that i would always have like one player i would have like a do not touch do not trade rule and that money that player would not even be considered moving but if i don't know i would this is something that i would like to see in a video game is yeah, what absolutely. i'm trying to get at because it's, it's fun I think, yeah no i i sorry i i do agree with you there i i think it's an intriguing uh suggestion mm-hmm. and i and that's i think that's the part that you know why you throw ideas out there like that i mean it's it's intriguing 100 percent. what team yeah i i guess i look at it from the, the the perspective of what what team has been probably the most successful in terms of making the the playoffs and, and having long playoff runs over the last let's say 10 years mm-hmm. what team comes to mind detroit detroit for me for me i i'm thinking boston bruins yeah right? so there's a team that and the reason they've been able to do that is because players have bought in. And even, you know, a, a while back on Spit and Chicklets, Sidney Crosby was on and he talked about, you know, it doesn't matter if one player takes takes a pay cut to, to make make the team stick together. It's it's you got to have a full team mentality and everyone's mm-hmm. got to buy in. And I think that's why you have teams like the Vegas Golden Knights who are against the cap. The teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs who are against the cap. Because none of those players thought about the, the the team first, thinking like, hey, how are we going to stick this team together and keep the core together? It was all about how much money can I pull in? Yeah. Right? And, and I get it. I get it. You're, you're, a, you're a star athlete, 
you want to make the money while you can in your prime. But at a certain point, do you want to put a championship in your pocket as well and, and try and go out there and win it? Because at yeah. this point in time, for those types of teams, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and that that's a really great point. And I, before, I, I, I was not necessarily correct myself before, but I was thinking of the Detroit Red Wings post-lockout because they still managed to make it work for a pretty long time from 0405 to about, I think, you know, maybe 2011, 2012, when that's when everything started to like, you know, go a little iffy in their regards. So I, I like, I know, like I'm talking about the Detroit Red Wings post lockout, even though that they were a pretty good playoff team before the lockout and before there was even a salary cap, but even so they still managed to make it work. There were a lot of teams that were successful in that regard that made it work under the cap situation or the set or the current salary cap at the time before it even started to raise up and they made it work. Chicago benefited from that when the cap started to rise, even a team like um, Pittsburgh Penguins, they benefited from that as well. Although, um, you know, Boston Bruins. So yeah, it's, it's, and, and what you said before, it goes back to the whole putting the team first, as opposed to yourself first. And that's a question that, or notion that's been brought up a lot in the past where, you know, players should probably, if you want to get a championship, you might need to prioritize winning first and then money second. I know Shanahan has commented on that, that Leafs needed to give up a little bit more in order to win, you know? So, but yeah, I totally agree with you 100% on that. The one other thing I wanted to mention that I think this rule does kind of intrigue me even more is that you have longevity with players with their respective teams. Mm-hmm. So nowadays you don't see, you know, you don't see a Steve Eiserman who spends his entire con or his entire, you know, career with, with one club. Yeah. And I think that's what we're, I think we miss that a lot now. Um, the loyalty aspect, the loyalty aspect, you don't see a lot of players setting team records for points and games played and all that kind of stuff because they don't play their entire careers with that their respective teams mm-hmm. you know for me i would love to see austin matthews start his career with the leafs and his year and his and his career with the leafs i yeah. don't think that's going to happen mm-hmm. um you know i think them eventually the money's just going to get too big and i don't think the leafs are going to be be willing to pay it um and that's where you can kind of look at the the exemption rule and say, hey, you know what, we'll exempt him for the last four years of his career because, you know, this is a guy that we want to keep, uh, we want to keep around and keep as a leaf because he's he's a leaf for life, right? But definitely, you know, I think that's that's the aspect that that would intrigue me the most, only because that's something that I would like to see moving forward. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I I do think it's an intriguing thought. I think it's it's far from being a reality. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. Speaking of contracts, we had yes. two minor signings uh, over the last week. Flyers, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers signed defenseman Philip Myers to a three-year, seven point six five million dollar extension. Uh, Myers is coming off a year where he played sixteen games, had three goals and one assist for four points. Um, Obvious, or sorry, that was in the playoffs. Uh, he, so his year, he had he played 50 games, had 16 points and 30 penalty minutes. So a big, solid defenseman. Um, you know, only 23 years old, a lot of hockey ahead of him. 
uh, New Brunswick kid. This uh, this guy's going to have uh, quite the time with the the up and coming Flyers. I think the Flyers are going to be an exciting team over the next couple of seasons, and for them to lock down this guy for the next three years uh, on their back end is is definitely going to be uh, a privilege for them to have him back there. I took notice of him during the World uh, World Juniors back in 2016-17, and I was. Yeah, they had a lot of like a lot of like standout junior players on the team, but I was always drifting towards him because I loved how he skated. I loved his mobility. I loved the way that he, you know, jumped up into the rush. He's a big guy, but he can move so well. And he was undrafted and he's becoming like a late bloomer or one of those diamonds in the rough that, you know, didn't get selected and now it's working out for the Philadelphia Flyers. And I'm really really loving this contract, you know. Three years, really good price. You can't go wrong with that. But he's a right shot defenseman, and he will go really well on the other side with Ivan Provorov as a potential top pairing, um, top pairing unit for them. And both are big guys. Both could jump up. Both could play. Both could be a nightmare to go against. So you have the makings of a really, really good pairing with Provorov, and now you have Myers in that in that regard as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said, I think it's going to be a great signing for them uh, by the time this contract's up. And um, I think it's a good move for him to stick with a team that's uh, certainly up and coming and and will be exciting and likely a playoff team for the next few years. Mm -hmm. Um, Also signing this uh, this past week was Nashville's uh, Luke Prokop signed his entry level contract. Uh, Prokop, uh, a defenseman with the Calgary Hitmen. Um, signed it. Eighteen year old, he was a seventy third overall in the twenty twenty NHL draft, third round pick. Um, another another solid defenseman uh, that should be an interesting guy to watch as he kind of makes his development uh, happen throughout the uh, Nashville organization. But uh, you know, always good to see these young guys getting their first contracts and, and how excited they are. And he even tweeted out a picture of him signing the contract. So that's you know that's something that uh, you know I'm sure he'll never forget. Always special, always special, especially for those later round draft picks that get signed. You because those are the kind of picks where, you know, they're becoming a little, you know, on the bubble of making an an immediate impact on the team. And when I was writing his draft profile for draft coverage this past year, I was really drawn to him as a potential, you know, third or fourth round pick that he could be a a steady four, five, six defensemen. You know, someone can eat up minutes, be reliable in his own end. He has a really good defensive game. And this year, his production, his offensive production, grew from 10 points to 23. So that offensive game is starting to develop as well. Will it translate to the NHL? I don't know, but I really love his smarts and his ability to be an aggressive force in his own end and someone to be tough uh, to go up against. And... I think Nashville got a really good defenseman that could serve in sort of like the bottom pairing of their defense for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and obviously, you know, this wouldn't be a pandemic podcast without us getting into COVID at some point. Um, yeah. John Shannon um, reported that sources confirm that the NHL is planning the private purchase of a COVID vaccine for all constituents involved in the potential upcoming season. So this, he tweeted that on December 10th, 
obviously the uproar followed. Anytime you get a tweet like that on uh, on any kind of social media, um, yeah. you know, it uh, all of a sudden, you know, everyone's coming out of the woodworks to have their opinion heard. And um, he followed that up with by clarifying the fact that they haven't bought any COVID vaccines. And nor would they be willing to jump the line as as many have accused them of. So he 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 followed that up with uh, for clarification, the NHL is interested in securing vaccine when and if it's available for private pur- purchase. Is it at this point? No. The league also is adamant they would not jump the line to do so. Mm-hmm. So folks, they're in, they're not going to buy it off of you know your eighty year old grandmother. They're not yeah. going to buy it off of, you know, your your mother with heart disease. Not okay? give it, not just confront, get to call Pfizer, get the vaccines yeah. that they need. Yeah. They're, what they're saying is that if and when it does become available for private purchase in mass amounts, they will be in that lineup of, of folks who are interested in going that route. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously from a from a fan standpoint who wants to see the game continue that's a great thing to hear that they're willing to to take that extra step to try and take the precautions and protect their people yeah um you know i think from from a from a standpoint of of just somebody who's watched this this 10 month long pandemic happen um you know we're just excited to see that vaccinations are out and uh, you know we're on the we're on the right track to to figure out a way out of uh, you know this crazy lockdown that we've all been in for the last ten months. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean it's a good thing that he followed that up with that context because originally I thought okay NHL is really just going to go out and buy the vaccines before everybody else just so they could play a game. That that didn't seem very ethical in my opinion. Because you have all the frontline workers who are working tirelessly day after day after day with everything going on. Obviously, they should be the one, the first ones to get it, as well as seniors in long-term care facilities, because that was hit hard. And those with underlying conditions that are also seniors as well. Um, it's great news that on t- that Canada approved the vaccine. Ontario is getting vaccinated next week, I believe next Tuesday. It's going to be a matter of time before it gets to us. And it gets to the point where we could go in and watch a game. The NHL can wait a little bit longer because they proved that their bubble system can work. They were effective with that. They just got to be a little bit extra cautious right now with the travel going on. Because you saw how it worked with the NFL with their travel, MLB with their travel. You can get hit. And they got to be very, very cautious to avoid that to make sure everybody is healthy, everybody is good. So then that way... When it's their turn for the vaccine, players, coaches, staff, arena staff at some point, so they could get in, start working up and prepare for next year with like all the food, um, concessions, everything like that. It, it's gotten to a point where, yeah, you know, they want the vaccine. Everybody wants a vaccine right now. I've, I've been focusing since the day the pandemic hit, whether or not what a vaccine is going to do, how long, when's the treatment going to come. I've been glued to my phone or glued to the internet to try and get news every single day. And it's killing all of us. I get it. But we are in a good spot right now. There is light at the end of the tunnel. The NHL isn't going to put their, you know, 
they're players first. Athletes are not exempt from, you know, following the rules and guidelines. They need to follow like the rest of us. Simple as that. But we are going to get to that point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And obviously, you know, that's exciting news. Uh, We've kind of drawn on about this, uh, this COVID stuff for, for, well, 19 episodes now. Um, (laughs) Hopefully in the next few episodes, the COVID talk will slowly die down a bit, but you know, anything can happen, you know? Exactly. Um, But uh, just kind of going off of that, uh, you know, world juniors, obviously that's something that we uh, we've continually talked about and how important it is. It's, it's a tradition for a lot of Canadians. Um, I don't know how, how much the excitement draws down to the, the American side of things, but for Canadians, I, I know sitting on there on Boxing Day watching the game, that's one of the moments that we all uh, we all look forward to year in and year out. Um, that said, the tournament itself, should it be called into question at this point with how much COVID has affected teams like Sweden, like the Germans, like the Swiss? Um, you know, you're seeing it from all aspects. Yeah. Is this a tournament that should be happening at this point in time? Well, Finland came out with their roster this morning. Russia came out with their 25-man roster. U.S. announced their 25-man roster, which, again, we will get to U.S. and, you know, Russia and Finland in just a moment because some leaf news broke there. But, yeah, I mean, Sweden was hit the hardest. I mean, William Eklund gone, Albin Gru gone, Gruba gone, their head coach Thomas Montan gone, Carl Henriksen gone. There's a good chunk of... This is supposed to be a best on best of the top, you know, junior players around the world, right? For Sweden, there goes a good chunk of your roster. I mean, you still got really great prospects on your team. Don't get me wrong. You still have Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holtz. You got a bunch of other like prospects that are going to make an impact at this tournament. Don't get me wrong. And that you don't want you hate to see players get this virus but it opens up for someone like you know simon evanson and simon robertson who are also um highly tied prospects this year but at some point if these infections draw on should you still do it i mean we saw that with the nhl where before camps even started we thought that oh my god you know 27 infections it's going to get out of control you know we thought that it it may end up not being that way because this is the same situation that happened with the NHL. It was to get to that bubble and stay safe and stay quarantined for the rest of the tournament. But you also saw with team USA, they had to replace three players of their own. Canada sent home five players as a result of COVID infections or they were unfit to play. I mean, Ridley Gregg, who was supposed to be at the camp tested positive before the camp even started, didn't attend was sent home, and he's still dealing and recovering from the virus. So this took a big, this took a toll on him. And it's now at the point where if the health and safety have to come into light right now, because one player is having not necessarily a hard time, but he had mild symptoms and he's having not a hard time to recover. But again, it took a hit on him. At one point, do we have to say, you know what? This is a warning sign that it can get bad and someone could get a severe infection even more. I think it's at the point now. I mean, they're still going to go through with it. I don't think it should happen because of that situation with Ridley Gregg, the mass infection in Sweden, 
Germany, U.S., other teams getting hit that you should probably reconsider and think of next year. Although if they're submitting their rosters right now, it's probably a little bit too late and they're going to go through with it. I, I, at first I thought, okay, get to the bubble. It followed the rules and protocol. It should be fine. It happened before. Now I'm, I'm on, I don't, I'm going the other way. I want this tournament to happen like everybody else, but it's come to a point now where think about the players because they got a long, a long future ahead of them. If they get a severe infection, they could be a long hauler and that's going to be difficult for them. Yeah, no, I think now that you're at the point where you you've got the teams entering the entering the uh, the Edmonton bubble, I mean, I think we're far past the the, the idea of of not making Excellent. this tournament happen. Yeah, but you know, at, at what point do you maybe even like a week and a half ago when when all of these cases were coming out, why why wasn't the discussion on more to, headed towards you know canceling the tournament as a whole? I I get it. I get it. We want this to happen more than anybody. But at at a certain point, you have to look at the safety of these, these kids, the safety of their, their coaches, um, staff, everything, the staff, we don't, we don't know what underlying issues each and every person has. Um, you know, and, and and you bring that, you bring that uh, virus into the bubble and you know, you're talking about a whole different story. Uh, it's no longer a bubble of safety. You're talking about a bubble of coronavirus that just, you know, is seemingly going to tear down every single person in, in, in it. Yeah. Um, you know, you can quarantine people all you want, but the, the fact is, is that it got into the bubble. So, I mean, obviously they're going to do their due diligence. Uh, I don't think they wouldn't. Um, they've been through this already in, in Edmonton, obviously mm-hmm. with the, the NHL playoffs taking place there. But I just think there's, there was so much more uh, focus on trying to make it happen without even considering the fact that, hey, maybe it's a bad time, maybe it's a bad idea, and there should have been more of a discussion of whether the tournament should should even happen. Yeah, and just, I, you talk about, like, what should have, like, what was the tipping point about how they, when they should have talked about possibly canceling it? It should have happened when Canada went into quarantine. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Then when Sweden lost four or five players of their own, plus their head coach, that should have served as some indication that, okay, we really got to take this seriously right now. Then other teams reported two or three cases of it. And how I'm just, I'm just looking at from like a psychological and personal perspective right now, these kids wanted to like be a part of the biggest tournament of their junior career. Lucas Reichel isn't even going to partake in it. Two players that tested positive on Canada I mean, it was two positive, two positive cases at the moment. I don't, I'm not aware of any other positive cases at that point. But two players were sent home because they tested positive. Even though they quarantined for the rest of the duration of it, they can't partake in it because they tested positive. And now there goes a shot at making this team. So it it dwells on them. It's weighing on their shoulders. It's it's a it's basically a like punch to the gut right now for them that they won't be able to play in this. And every player, every junior player wants to play for their country, no matter what. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned Reichel and this is the year that Germany was supposed to be, you know, somewhat of a force uh, in yeah. terms of, of where they've been in, pa- in past tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, um, you know, you obviously all these kids want to go out there and play. Uh, but that being said, at a certain point, you have to make sure that you're you're keeping everybody safe. And, and 
now you're you're bringing all these people in from out of the country into Edmonton. Yeah. Um, and things can happen. Nobody's invincible, and very easily this could this could change the outlook in Alberta from from a standpoint of of where the virus is at, and it isn't good right now out there. Yeah. And so, we talked about this last week with the QMJHO and the NWHO. Even if you're taking the right precautions, for one split second, you let your guard down. It's going to have a massive impact. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And uh, that, that like I said, it could either work in their favor or it could hurt them. Regardless, it looks like as though the tournament is going to be taking place. Mm-hmm. Um Canada, you mentioned a bunch of other countries uh, named their 25-man rosters. Um, Canada also named theirs, making the final cuts. Uh, nine players among those, Seth Jarvis, uh, Jamison Reese, Graham Clark, Gage Gonzalez, um, Ryan O'Rourke, Lucas Cormier, uh, among others. Mm-hmm. Um the most surprising for me, and I, I, I tweeted this out after following the, the cut, was uh, was uh, Brochu from uh, from the London Knights. Uh, the mm-hmm. goaltender seemed to have a stellar camp, if you if you ask me. Um, but uh, obviously, you know, Brett Brochu had a had a breakout year with the Knights last season, his rookie year in the OHL, and uh, got the invite. Seemed to have a good camp, and uh, was subsequently cut by team Canada. Yeah, he played really well in the interest squad games, especially the one where he, he fully started that game. And I thought he put his name into the conversation to be not the starter of the team. Cause I think that's going to go towards Dylan Garand right now. He's, he's my favorite to be the starter, but he could have been a third goalie. And if anything happens to both him or Taylor Gauthier, I thought he would have been solid in that position. I mean, they went with Devin Levi, who had a, who was, who missed quite some time because he was in that university bubble. And, but he played in uh, one of the exhibition game or not exhibition, intra-squad games, and he got a shutout. So it was ultimately their decision. I thought maybe if Levi would have gotten a chance, we would have saw him earlier on that we could have made a more clear decision. It's because of the whole fact that Levi was quarantined didn't see him fully play. I think our attention was more directed to Brochu, but still Zachary Levi is a pretty good name to have as that third goalie right now. My, as my, my other big surprise from the cut, aside from Shane, right? I thought he would have, he, he played really well. I thought he would have, you know, made the team, but you know, he's, he's got another year. He'll definitely make the team next year. I think. Hendrix Lapierre, I thought, showed really great glimpses of being an aggressive four-checker, great playmaker, and he was showing why he went in the first round despite all of his injuries and concussion history. It's unfortunate because he did have a couple great opportunities, a lot of great scoring chances. I thought he stood out above some of the other players, but ultimately, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and uh, you know, I you mentioned Shane Wright. I was a little surprised that he was uh, cut when he was. Um, I do think uh, Hendrix Lapierre. I think they cut him earlier than I I even thought he was going to be cut. Um, but I mean, I guess it comes down to what they saw at the camp. Maybe they saw 
different leadership skills, maybe off ice things that that uh, took place that they saw that yeah. you know they they've named their team and um, you know it, it, again we'll see what happens, but uh, you know obviously Quinton Byfield's there, Connor McMichael's there again. You're seeing guys like Alex Newhook, Kirby Doc, who's an interesting uh, interesting name, being uh, being let. Uh, let play by the um, the Chicago Blackhawks. They're mm-hmm. going to give him the opportunity to play in the World Juniors. Uh, Connor Zari, Dylan Holloway, Cole Perfetti, Ryan Suzuki. Like there's some there's some still incredible names on this team. Uh, one of your favorites, Braden Schneider, is going to be on defense for Canada. <laughs> Jamie Drysdale, Bowen Byram is uh, returning. Caden Gooley, which will give the Montreal fans a chance to see him play. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good names on this team. Uh, one that's worth watching is Jack Quinn, a Buffalo Sabres first round pick that uh, a lot of people questioned if he went higher than maybe he should have. Yeah. Uh, but this will give him an opportunity to showcase what he's been able to do. And one of the top goal scorers in terms of Canadian players from last year. Yeah. You mentioned Jack Quinn and Perfetti Confetti. I mean, when he broke out during the whole uh, Ivan Holinka tournament, um, he went before him, and I thought Cole would have gone ahead of Jack Quinn, but, you know, draft's a different situation. Um, this team is not short on talent. Like, they had... This is a really stacked roster. Compare it to every other team in this tournament, I think Sweden would have had the next best, you know, forward group. Russia right behind, which we will get to. Like, how can you try and defend against this, like, these forwards? How can you defend against the puck-moving abilities of Bowen Byram, Jamie Drysdale, Thomas Harley, who's a really great skater? How can, how are you able to defend against this team? It's going to be difficult for a lot of them because of the firepower that they have. And... Again, you could look to Quentin Byfield is going to have a bigger tournament than he did last year. I know last year wasn't the one that he expected, but I'm expecting him to rise to the occasion, be a massive offensive contributor. McMichael, same thing as last year. Dylan Cousins, Kirby Doc could serve as a leadership role, kind of like the way Baron Hayton did last year, being that NHL presence coming in. It's I'm astonished by how... Andre Tourney has put an emphasis on the skill, the compete level, the energy of this team. And even so right now, like even the past, we talked about like questioning questions in the goaltending situation or goaltending positioning. You have a solid three, three solid players that can jump in if they need to. I mean, Zach Levi, he had a really, really strong, um, uh, strong uh, showing at the World Junior A tournament. He was, uh, I believe, um, a MVP, the MVP winner of that tournament. Yeah, he won uh, silver medal and was also the MVP at the World Junior A Championship. Really solid numbers. Um, Taylor Gauthier, who was passed up twice in the draft, he started to see he was facing a lot of shots, but he had a 917 save percentage this past season, his highest of the three with the Prince George Cougars. Dylan Grant, I, I I absolutely loved, and I was hoping that Toronto, if they would get a goalie, I was hoping it would be Grand. But he's a phenomenal goaltender who's very square with the player, always in position, and I noticed that early on with the intra-squad games. Dylan Grant faced a 
barrage of shots from Team Red, and he stood tall in the first five, six minutes before White started picking up the pace and getting on the board offensively. So usually there's cause for concerns. There was cause for concern last year when Nico Dawes was supposed to be the starter, and he didn't deliver, and Joel Hoffer came in, and he was lights out. I don't think you're going to see that this time around. And Craig Button recently just said that this team could go undefeated. It's a good possibility. I mean, anything can happen, but if everything holds up, this team could repeat and go undefeated. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, you mentioned it, uh, there's no sh- no shortage of talent here. Um, I still, although the, the, the tournament as a whole is missing a number of players, I think uh, it's still going to be a phenomenal uh, display of offense and, and you know, um, just team mentality. This is a great experience for a lot of these young guys. And, uh, I, you know, obviously I'm looking forward to getting underway. Um, you know, I, with that being said, I kind of want to jump right into the Maple Leafs talk. But before we do, I just have two final notes here for mm-hmm. for kind of hockey news. Um the AHL, obviously, with the NHL restart, uh, looking at uh, January 13th, uh, the AHL is looking at a February 5th return with a 44-game season. That'll be great news for the, the Toronto Marlies. Um, obviously, you know, we get to see guys like Rich Clune get back on the ice and, yeah. uh, you know, sport that blue and white. Um, in other news, uh, this has been kind of a story that's been ongoing and unfolding as as it continues to happen. Um, affidavits outline the alleged abuse and harassment um and hazing in junior hockey um some of the some of the players that are involved in that uh, include the oldest one being Doug Smith 57 who played for the Ottawa 67s in the Ontario Hockey League between 1979 and 1982 um he also was drafted by the Los Angeles Kings in 1981 and uh the youngest youngest player in the affidavits uh, uh is is 27 and played uh, in the OHL between 2009 and 2014. Uh, it also includes players, former players like Dan Carcillo, Garrett Taylor, um, uh, who who uh, have accused the their junior hockey, their the CHL, mm-hmm. of having perpetuated a toxic environment which condones violent, discriminatory, racist, sexualized, and homophobic contact conduct including physical and sexual assault on the underage players that they are obliged to protect um the affidavits of 10 additional former players were among four volumes of documents filed on monday in court um obviously as i mentioned anybody who wants to follow along this story uh check out rick westhead at tsn uh he's been kind of dealing with this with this story uh since the get-go and uh it's it's one that uh will continue to unfold as we move forward. With that said, let's jump into the Leafs stories of the week. Um, Obviously, you know, we mentioned uh, the World Juniors. We mentioned the Canadian division. Um, What do you think of the Maple Leafs in this Canadian division? I think they will get a banner for once. I think they will get a divisional banner. I mean... I, I would hope they would get a divisional banner despite it being like uncertain times. But I, I, there's, I mean, comparing them to the rest of the Canadian NHL teams, I mean, you got the Edmonton Oilers, you got a star studded forward or a growing star studded forward group with the Vancouver Canucks with uh, Pedersen, Horvat, and Besser. 
Um, you still have, you know, Montreal can try and like, you know, be a playoff team as well. But if you com- combining all those teams into one division, Toronto is the best. I mean, I'm not saying this because I'm a Leaf fan or because we cover the Toronto Maple Leafs at the Hockey Raiders. On paper, and even the last few seasons, they have been one of the better Canadian teams. And right now, with the moves that they made, I'm hoping that with the whole leadership aspect that Dubis um, prioritized this offseason, that maybe they could take another step forward. They could get over the hump. They could try and, you know, be what they set out to be. This team... Even the even last year and the year before, this team has what it takes. They just haven't had the mindset for it. And I think now this is the time. This is the opportunity to show to them that they are the top team in Canada. They are a top team in the league. And not only that, this is a win for them. They don't have to go up against the Boston Bruins or Tampa Bay Lightning. There should be no excuse for this team to find success right now. Yeah, no, I 100% agree, um, and uh, I, I I would be shocked if they didn't finish atop this division. That said, I think the two two teams that could uh, compete with them would be uh, you know Vancouver and uh, and Calgary. I think I think I I leave Edmonton out of that discussion because yes, they have the top two scores. That said, I do think that their defense is still a little bit less yeah. less experienced than uh, than other clubs in that division. And their goaltending is still suspect at times. Um, Very. Um, so I think that's what that's why I leave them out of that discussion. That said, you know, if you can go out and score six goals a game, you know, there there's reason to believe that you can be a, a top end team as well. It's just going to be a, a little bit harder to win night in and night out, especially to keep that puck out of the net. Because you know, yeah, the goals matter, but at the same time, you want to like minimize those chances, the goals, the shots, everything. And with their defense right now and their goaltending, like you said, it's very suspect right now. Absolutely. Um, and getting into that world junior talk, um, obviously a guy that we're, we're keeping an eye on is Amarov, uh, Rodian Amarov. Um, he's, uh, it, it, what's the potential that he's going to be sitting on Russia's top line when, when this is all said and done? I think it's very good. Because Bob McKenzie recently reported out uh, yesterday that um, the top he was going through top line combinations for the teams, and he would he came down to Russia's top unit could be Murat Kusnadinov of Minnesota, Vasily Pakolzin of Vancouver, and Rodion Amirov to be the top line for Russia. I'm just going to say this right now. Leaf fans, hockey fans, get ready for your dose of vitamin A. I've been saying that a lot with Rodin Amirov because everything that he does is just outstanding. And also, I mean, that's I, he's going up, uh, going online with two really strong players as well, and Chris Adidov and Pat Colson. Pat Colson has been has been playing extremely well this past season. But right now, I mean, for the center of the Leaf all eyes are on Rodin Amirov at this point right now. And he just keeps getting better and better and better. And I know I said this last time, but it's hard not to highlight what he can do. 
And for him to be on the top line, I initially he could have been paired with uh, Mikhail Abramov, who also made the team along with um, Artur Akhtiyamov uh, in goal. But you can't, we can't stress this enough. This is a really special player. And it just seems like he's always... I'm trying, I'm trying hard not to repeat myself because I've said everything in the book right now. He is good. And to witness this more, I mean, it was difficult because, you know, we don't get games in Russia. We see the clips online, which is great. But, but we get to see him fully play right now. And I saw him at the U18s last year. He was pretty good. He was a very, he was a strong standout for Russia. But that was last year. It's a full year of development, full year of him shooting, making like ridiculous moves, turning players inside out, breaking their ankles with the moves that he's doing. It's just phenomenal what he can do with the puck. And this is going to be a real treat. Um, you know the love that we have for him on this podcast, his shot, his smarts. But this is going to be a real nightmare for teams to defend against this whole entire line. Yeah, and we've and we've kind of talked about uh, you know Leaf prospects throughout the World Junior uh, tournament and and uh, you know players that are lining up for for different countries. One player that will not be there for for the Maple Leafs is uh, Nick Robertson, yes. uh, who won't participate in the World Juniors as per Bob McKenzie and Chris Johnson. Uh, the Leafs told USA Hockey weeks ago that he is available. Um, but it was tied to the the timing of NHL training camps. Um, and that being said, uh, Robertson has been in Canada since May, uh, trying to put himself in the best position to win a job with the Leafs. Um, and he, he was quoted, uh, this is as per Chris Johnston. He said, you know, every day is kind of a tryout for me. So he was, uh, involved in some of the camp for team USA that said he, uh, he, um, he's he's in Canada he's getting ready for training camp and he is looking to win a job with the Leafs rather than play at the World Juniors so that goes to show you what this kid is looking for uh he he's ready to take that next step in his development and uh that uh, that next step includes a, a spot on the Leafs opening night roster yeah Bob McKenzie yeah as you mentioned Bob McKenzie wrote or talked about this yesterday uh breaking the news that it could like Nick Robertson could not play for Team USA. And we got uh, word on that this morning. It's, it has been finalized. Um, and when I say yesterday, it's Friday. We're recording on a Saturday. So, yeah, it it's, it's a tough break for Team USA because Robertson was fantastic last year for them. Um, he would have got a, big, a bigger role. He probably could have been on, like, the top line this year. But... You know, Toronto wouldn't be doing this if they didn't feel that he has a really, really great chance of making the roster this year. And also, if he did go, uh, Bob McKenzie also mentioned that it's also what complicates things is the quarantine after the tournament. So let's say Nick Robertson did go. Tournament ends. He would have to come back. He would still miss time in camp, some gameplay. Because of the fact he still had to do a seven-day quarantine, make sure he's still okay, and he doesn't, and he uh, tests is uh, negative for a certain amount of days in order to return, and that's going to hinder his playtime, his development a little bit more. The fact that he's training, he's in Toronto right now, training. The fact that he's going to be in camp, it, 
honestly, it 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 could be the right move for him because let's face it, as much as he probably would have liked to have gone and win a medal and win a, one for Team USA, this is his chance right now. He's been working so hard, and we saw the way that he played during the playing round. This guy is always on the go. He's always digging for that puck, always going, always getting the shot off. He had like four shots in a row against one game against Columbus after like a, a t- tail end of the power play at the end of the power play. We know how good he is. And again, for him to do this, I mean, everyone is saying that, oh, well, Kirby Doc is going. Nick Robertson should go too. The difference between that and this is just my opinion Kirby Doc already has a year of NHL experience under his belt. He can go to the juniors, come back, and I don't think it'll be a problem. Chicago, he has a spot on the roster. Nick Robertson is fighting for one. So the fact that that the Maple Leafs have a roster site and they plan on using him possibly a lot this time around on a third-line role, fourth-line role, what have you, this is the best opportunity for him to take that next step as opposed to going to the juniors, possibly dominating amongst his age group. Cause we saw that he could play with men. He can do this. He can earn a spot on this roster. And I think this is the best move for him. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, uh, you said it, the difference there being that doc has got a, got a spot on, on the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, he's guaranteed to make the team, uh, Nick Robertson. This is his opportunity to try and make a team after, after, you know, really impressing uh, in his four games in the playoffs last year yeah. or in the playing round, I should say. Um, so I think this is a good opportunity for him to, to kind of get that and, and you know, try and make a, a roster that's going to be filled with a lot of talent. Um, and, and realistically, you know, he, right now he'll probably be looking at, you know, maybe, maybe a uh, third line role but that being said he's a guy that uh, could play up in the lineup if if uh you know injuries and such provide him that opportunity so mm-hmm. if he gets the opportunity this is going to be a good year for for nick robertson to kind of get get a taste of what the nhl is all about and uh i you know of course he'd love to go win another you know another world junior or or win a goal for his, his country um that said i don't think uh, the opportunity really is is as good as now to to try and make that Leafs roster. So, um, you know, we'll keep an eye on that. Obviously, we'll we'll update you as as camp gets underway um, in the new year. Um, but uh, one guy that uh, we'll also be keeping an eye on is Rasmus Sandin. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, it's a game of numbers with the Leafs defense these days. Sandin could be uh, a, an odd man out, but uh, one thing that kind of uh, you know, hampered him last year was his uh, his size and and getting pushed around a little bit in his own end. Um, he's looking to change that this year. Um, obviously, trying to put on some weight and uh, you know get an opportunity to you know uh, you know maybe maybe earn himself a roster spot as well and, and be a, be a force on that back end for the Leafs. Yeah, Chris Johnson had a really, really great article highlighting Sandine and his development right now. And CJ mentions that, you know, he's gotten bigger. He's been, you know, he's been, he knows, Sandine knew that, like, you know, there were some instances last year where maybe he wasn't as physically strong that he would like to be. So getting into game shape, getting into that position to try and fight for that spot, 
it, it's going to go well for him. And he also highlights that he was um, uh, playing with, uh, we are uh, practicing with uh, William Nylander and his brother Alex, and he was being aggressive in uh, puck battles. And I believe at one point he mentioned that there were like a lot of stick breaks for Nylander. So that shows the strength and uh, amount of effort that Sandine put into this year. I mean, it's going to be a battle for him, but if he does make this team right now, it could be difficult to knock him out of the lineup. He needed to get stronger, and I guess you could say that mission accomplished because Sandine said that even William Nylander had a hard time keeping up with him and had, and having a hard time to get the puck off him with his improved strength and everything like that. So I honestly thought that, okay, before Toronto made the moves, Rasmus Sandine is going to be on the roster. After those moves, he's on the edge, on the bubble, looking in right now. But he, if he does get that chance, it's going to go well for him. I I'm actually have high hopes for him if he does make this team. And even so, even if he rotates in and out, and with the fact that the AHL is coming up, if they feel that he's not getting the same amount of ice time or the ice time that he deserves, send him down. Let him dominate the AHL again. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, obviously, it's a. We talked about it with Robertson. It's a great opportunity for him to try and prove himself. Um, this isn't exactly the young team that you're used to. We did sign some uh, some veterans uh, in the off season, and um, you know, a little bit of youth might might be something that the Leafs are looking for, and, and that could be in the form of a guy like Rasmus Sandin. So if he's able to to kind of make those changes to his game, obviously the development is huge. Um, you know, I think he's going to be a force on the back end. And I think he's going to be a guy that maybe they look to, if not this year, um, maybe when injuries happen uh, this season, uh, possibly into next year. And uh, he's a guy that uh, might take that step in the right direction in terms of, you know, the team believing in him as as a, as a real top four defenseman um, in, in the very, very near future. If there is anybody that benefited well from this time off, from the when their the lease season ended till now, it was Sandine because the strength was the major issue for him, and you did see it at times. Like you know, he he has the mobility and everything like that, but that strength, he's gonna be. It's gonna be really great to see him go out there and even give some of the veterans a run for their money. I mean, who's to say that maybe Zach Bogosian ends up as a seventh and rarely gets into the lineup? You know, so uh, absolutely, a, yeah. A lot of narratives happening right now. Yeah, no, without without a doubt, and uh, um, with that, uh, we didn't mention it off the top of the show, but we've got uh, guest Anthony Flusco, former uh, writer at the Hockey yes. Writers, um, now media relations co- coordinator and play-by-play broadcaster for the ECHL Brampton Beast, obviously a team that, uh, you know, isn't playing for the 2020-21 season. Um, that said, uh, let's send it over to Anthony right now. Folks, and I am so pleased to welcome Anthony Fusco to the show, uh, media relations coordinator and play-by-play broadcaster with the Brampton Beast of the ECHL. Um, obviously, uh, proud affiliate of the Senators and Belleville Sens. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. So, Anthony, obviously, we got to get the the question out of the way. Um, ECHL North Division uh, forfeiting the season. Um, you know, what's, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on that, uh, being, being a part of one of those, uh, those teams and, um, you know, kind of moving forward, what, what do you expect 
from the UCHL going into next season? Yeah, you know what? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It was really tough initially because I think that deep down, a lot of us had known for a while that uh, we were going to be taking the voluntary suspension. Obviously, for months, nothing was confirmed. And uh, we were trying to plan as if we were going to be starting in October. But then it was a pushback uh, to November and a pushback to December. And uh, eventually, you could kind of see the writing on the wall. And uh, I think all the all five or six North Division teams uh, basically had a call with each other and were saying, is it getting better on your side? No. Is it better over there? No. Same here. Our border is still close, too. That was a big issue because uh, we're one of two Canadian teams in a predominantly American league. So uh, the border was definitely going to be a big issue for us. And uh, like I said earlier, the writing was kind of on the wall there. And uh, at one point, we all elected to take the suspension together. And uh, now it's basically about preparing for October of 2021. So uh, the big thing for us right this second has been, how do we stay relevant as a hockey team when we don't have a hockey team playing on the ice? And uh, it's been a little bit of a challenge. I'm not going to lie to you guys, but it has also opened up uh, a lot of different avenues for us to be creative and try to get involved uh, as much as we can in our community. So uh, it's it's been a very bit of a whirlwind uh, over the last few months, but hopefully 2021 brings Beast Hockey back to the ice. Anthony, you just mentioned that this this um, time off has opened up new avenues for the team itself. Uh, could you elaborate as to what uh, the team has been doing uh, during this time off? Yeah, of course. So uh, we've had a lot more time, or at least I've had a lot more time, because most of the time I'm uh, I'm on the road with the team. So that takes up about half of my year. But uh, now having this time, we've been able to do a whole bunch of different uh, little projects where we're running a, a holiday food drive right this second, which has been really successful. We're trying to get uh, one can or one food item for every seat in our bowl. So I think we're about halfway there. Uh, so little things like that. I've been able to do a lot more in-depth writing. Uh, we've actually had a whole bunch of guys retire, some really prominent players. Uh, our captain retired, so we were able to do a really nice feature on him. And uh, some other guys like our all-time scoring leader also retired this offseason. And we were able to devote a little bit more time to that as opposed to maybe not as much time if a season was fully being planned. Uh, we tried to do different kinds of podcasting, and we have a really big slate of uh, a new podcast show and everything going on for the month of January. So uh, it's been it's been different, but I'm definitely enjoying the uh, a little bit more freedom that comes with this to allow me to try some new things with the team. You mentioned uh, a couple of your guys retiring. Um, a guy like uh, David Pacan and having that kind of uh, that first line power power forward. Um, what does a guy like that mean to the team? And and obviously seeing him go, um, you know, how do you fill a spot like that in the lineup? Yeah, you know what, with Pax, uh, <laughs> you know what, I don't know if you can fill a spot with somebody like that. Uh, Pax was a power forward, a defensive powerhouse as well. You could trust him out there on the power play. You could trust him with a minute left in your own zone and you need a face-off one. Uh, you could trust him with basically anything. David Pecan was uh, as good a power forward as I've ever seen in this league. And he was uh, he was an ECHL all-star. He was constantly among the leaders on our team. 
uh, both points-wise and leadership-wise. He was great outside or off the ice, I should say, in the community. He really cared. He wanted to do uh, – he was always the first one to volunteer for anything that had to do with kids and schools and never complained about a single thing there. So losing a guy like that is definitely a big blow. But uh, Spiros Anastas, our head coach, and Duncan Del Mayo, our assistant coach, have done a lot of good work. And I think that they put together a fantastic roster that – even without a guy like Pecan, I think we would have been very, very competitive. And unfortunately, we don't get to see that this year. But hopefully in October of uh, 2021, we can see the full product that they built because I think they did something really great. Anthony, um, obviously, you know, it's a tough situation for, for everyone involved uh, with the Beast and uh, everyone else that's being affected by the ECHL shutdown. How did the players take it and what is their outlook on and what are they hoping for for when the season possibly resumes in 2021-2022? The players, uh, I wasn't part of this call, but we had, um, we had set up a Zoom call with our president and with our head coach and all of the players, the 18 or 19 that we had signed up till that point. And I think some of the guys might have had a little bit of an idea of what was going on. And, you know, hockey's a small community. Every player, um, all the players talk, all the agents talk. It's everyone hears it from each other. So we had set up that Zoom call, and uh, we always have a weekly meeting after. So it was brought up, how did the players take it, what happened? And uh, our head coach basically said that, it was as quiet a room full of hockey players as he had ever been in. And, you know, I'm sure you guys know just as well as anybody that a locker room full of hockey players is never, ever quiet. There's always something going on, mm-hmm. music or talking, joking, anything. He said it was very, very quiet. And I think a lot of guys were in shock or were just trying to process this now because, well, suddenly they don't have a job and they're not getting paid, and they've effectively been laid off. And Now, the big thing has been they're trying to catch on with teams because obviously that's what you want to be doing. You want to be playing. You don't want to be losing out on a year. The problem is that there's so many players now that are free agents looking for deals, and there's just not enough spots. So uh, we've had a few guys catch on with different ECHL teams. We've had a few go over to Europe. Uh, we've had a lot have to find uh, having to find a different job and maybe give up the possibility of playing for this season. So uh, they're definitely hoping that by October of 2021 for that coming season that everybody's back, all the teams are back, and uh, it's it's definitely been harder on them than it has on I think our staff. You know, we were lucky enough to keep our jobs, but uh, I, I feel for each and every one of those guys. I know it's a very difficult position to be put in. Well, it's a small sample size. Um, you know, in 2018-19, you had the chance to kind of see Philip Gustafson come up and, and play a couple games for the Beast. Um, you know, this is a guy that's, uh, prior to being drafted, was was a highly coveted goaltending prospect. What uh, what did you see in the couple games that he, he played that might uh, translate to, say, the NHL level? Yeah, Gus was great for us when he was down here. Uh, Big-bodied kid. He had great lateral movement. I think his biggest thing, or the biggest thing that I think he can work on that is going to get him somewhere at the next level is just working on a little bit of a confidence level. Uh, Sometimes he'd get a little bit down on himself after a loss, but 
he has all the mechanics, he has the potential, and I definitely think that he could be something uh, in that Ottawa organization. And uh, their goaltending has been really great. I've had the chance to see uh, Marcus Hogberg, who's played a little bit in the NHL the last couple of seasons. Um, Joey Decord, who I expect will get up there. I know he's had one game uh, with Ottawa, but he did really well with us and then with Belleville last year. So I, I think between all of them, uh, Gus is as highly touted as they come, and I think he's going to do great things. Anthony, you just uh, in August, you, the team re-signed their system captain, Eric Bradford. Um, what can you tell us about him and uh, how is he uh, going to help with the team going forward? Eric Bradford is fantastic. He's he's really, really become a leader. And uh, I remember when we first traded for him a couple of years ago. So my first year in 1718, uh, we had traded for him. It took him a little bit of time to uh, get acclimated with the team and everything. But uh, you could kind of see the leadership and the mentality right there. Uh, the following year, he took another step. And then this past year, he got the A for the first time. And uh, he's a really emotional guy. And he wants to be able to uh, be the leader both on and off the ice. He's uh, a point-per-game guy in the ECHL. It's definitely an asset to have no matter what. And uh, Eric Bradford is just He's been phenomenal in dealing with things on the ice, especially off the ice. He was our uh, or my community nominee. We have to submit one of those uh, every offseason to the ECHL for an award. So uh, he, he's a guy that cares. He wants to be here, and he's a fantastic player. So uh, getting Eric Bradford locked up and hopefully back next season, uh, that's a massive win for us. You mentioned uh, how – Essentially, the players were kind of let go um, now, obviously moving to try and find, you know, somewhere to play this season. Um, how does that work exactly with coming back next year? Are they still under contract with the team or is it something that, you know, you kind of almost have to rebuild from uh, from the ground up uh, when you start again in 2021-22? No, it's a great question. It was a, a very hotly debated topic amongst all of the governors and the presidents of the league as to what would be happening uh, when a team takes the suspension, what happens to the players? So uh, essentially, if a team like us, like we did, takes the suspension, all the players that we had signed at that moment become free agents. And they're able to go anywhere, whether it's another ECHL team, whether it's over to Europe. Uh, it doesn't matter as long as they're playing somewhere. We retain all of their rights. So for next season in October 21, uh, we have first crack at signing them and uh, we can basically rebuild the team that way. The only maybe downside is that uh, some guys are maybe not going to play. And being away from the ice for a year, that's a long time to shake off a lot of rust. And uh, maybe they decide in that time that, uh, you know, I'm going to retire and I don't want to deal with something like this again. But uh, we hope that we can get everybody back. I think that we had built a really great team and uh, we we're ready to contend. So, Hopefully all the guys whose rights that we still have come back and we can be uh, another powerhouse again this coming year. Yeah, you just mentioned the, you know, the other side of things about players uh, possibly are hesitant to come back being a year off. How optimistic are you to get the foundation of that team or the players that you've had in the past to come back and, and still be that force that you guys were? Just from my own uh, my own personal opinion, I, I think I'm very optimistic about that. I think that uh, Spiros and Duncan have really created a great culture of guys who want to be here, guys who want to play here. Um, 
we have a little bit of an edge in the ECHL as well that even though the league is predominantly American, a lot of teams or a lot of teams players, I should say, are Canadian and a lot of guys come from Ontario. And uh, It's kind of nice to be able to play in front of your friends and family and live at home again. And uh, I think we can definitely continue to attract guys that way. And uh, I think we're going to be a good team. They did a lot of good work and even some of the guys that had retired and now I, I can't confirm or deny anything, obviously, but uh, being away for a year maybe makes you miss the game a little bit more than uh, just about anybody else. So uh, maybe some of those guys that retired maybe come back out from one last kick at the camp. Anthony, um, you know, you've been doing play-by-play for the team for, for a couple of years now, or for, for a few years, rather. Um, you know, to a smaller scale, I, I was I had the opportunity to call a few of the, the Junior Knights games here in London for Rogers. Um, it's not an easy job. And, <laughs> you know, you, just as the players prepare game in and game out, you have to prepare as well. Take us through a night of, of or a day of being, uh, you know, the play-by-play broadcaster for a team in the ECHL. You know what? That's a phenomenal question, and I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to take you through what a three-and-three three weekend would look like for myself and the Beast because uh, I think it's absolutely crazy, but I love every second. So let's say that we have a game in Glens Falls Adirondack on Friday night. That is about seven and a half hours away from Brampton. So we would be leaving Wednesday morning. Seven and a half hour bus ride, stop at the border. Most of the time goes pretty smoothly. Uh, some of the time they they want to ask extra questions of the American players or if we had any uh, Europeans on our team, but the border was mostly good, so I can't complain. Uh, finally get across the border, we get to Adirondack, uh, unpack all our gear, and then everybody goes to the uh, restaurants or the hotel, check in, doesn't matter. Thursday, uh, morning practice at 10 a.m., so I'm getting my interviews with our coaches. I'm perfecting my notes, giving out the last um, – or writing up the last little bits, I should say. I'm sending those to the opposing broadcaster, making sure that everything is printed. Uh, afternoon for hockey players is basically everybody shuts it down for a couple hours, get some sleep. Guys have their own routine. So uh, in that time, I'm just quietly in our hotel room and – just going over the notes, uh, pronunciations, anything that I might need that way. Go in, we play the game. Let's say we win, we had a great night. Uh, we're packing up our gear, we're on the bus, and we're going to Reading, Pennsylvania on Saturday. So uh, we're on the bus overnight. We're really lucky. We have a sleeper bus. So while most of the guys are catching some sleep, I'm still up with our coaching staff, and coaching staff is going over videos. I'm basically updating our notes and making everything ready for the game pack for uh, the game that we have tomorrow. So we get in over, we get in at probably four or 5 a.m. in the morning, check into the hotel. Uh, I <laughs> crazy enough, I finish my notes at that point, catch a little bit of sleep. Next morning, 10, 10, 15, morning skate. Then we go through the same kind of afternoon routine, play the game that night, hopefully win again get some food, get on the bus. We're going back overnight because we have a 2 p.m. start in Brampton. So we're driving all the way through the night. Uh, stop at the border at about 2 or 2.30 in the morning. Uh, continue on for about another hour, hour and a half. 
get to Brampton, unpack the gear. I'm back in our office. I finish our notes. I print everything, set up all the equipment, go home, get a little bit of sleep, come back a few hours later, broadcast the game. And after that, I think I sleep for basically the entire Monday that I have off. That's uh, that that is that is quite the journey. I mean, um, that that is a lot to take in. And uh, you you mentioned that a lot goes into everything, um, the stats, the packages, um, talking with the coaches, coaching staff, and everything, uh, the rival broadcasters as well. Mm-hmm. Um, interested at the top uh, that you're also the media relations coordinator. Is it difficult to juggle both positions as the, sort of like the media relations aspect as well as the play by play aspect? You know what? It's not as I, I thought it would be a little bit more difficult, but as I've kind of gotten into the routine, a lot of that kind of stuff is uh, it's melded into one. So the the game recaps that I'm responsible media relations wise, I I'm able to write that kind of stuff because I'm the one who just broadcasted the game. I, I saw every single second of it, so I kind of know what needs to go into it and this and that. And um, managing the press box too, you know, you always have. I was always the contact for uh, any scouts that wanted to come in or any media that wanted to come and watch the guys. Or uh, we frequently had people from Belleville down to see some of the prospects. We had uh, some Ottawa uh, NHL people come and watch too. So a lot of my work, I'm lucky kind of, uh, I was able to meld that way. But you know what? In the ECHL, you wear a whole bunch of different hats. And uh, I'm really grateful for that because I think it's made me very well-rounded and I think it can only serve me uh, serve me really well one day. I know it might be hard, obviously, you know, having called so many games, but is there a moment uh, or a call from your side that has really maybe stood out to you or stayed with you that you, you look back on and just, you know, kind of defines the way that you, you call games? Oh, man, that, <laughs> that's a fantastic question. Anything when we win in overtime, and there's one with uh, David Valerani scoring an overtime winner at home in front of all our fans, and I think that's probably the first clip that's in my demo reel too, and I still think about how much fun that game was. It was 7-6. The uh, OT winner made it 7 for us, so uh, it was absolutely crazy, and it couldn't have happened to a better guy, so I'd probably say just top of mind right now, uh, that one's one of my favorites. Anthony, kind of a really simple question right now, but what's the one thing that you're looking forward to when the games resume? Is it having the fans in the stadium, get just getting back on the ice and calling games? What's the one thing that you're that's just at the top of your mind right now? Probably being able to call games. Uh, that's my absolute favorite thing. That's something that I want to continue doing. I'd love to make it in the NHL as a play-by-play broadcaster one day and just being able to tell the story of the players that are down there on the ice because they are, they're the story and it's my job to just enhance that as much as I possibly can. So as soon as they're back, I can get back and hopefully uh, everybody's happy at that point. Well, without any insult, uh, you've got the voice for it. And uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're we're standing behind you. We we've got your back, and we we hope that uh, you, that dream comes true for you. As uh, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's definitely it's definitely a beautiful thing to be part of the game and, and in any aspect. And uh, for us to do this, and for you to be able to come on and, and discuss that with us, uh, Anthony, we appreciate everything, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. 
No, absolutely. Anytime. Thank you guys very much for having me. And uh, I've been very lucky. The game has given me a lot and uh, I'm just glad that I can give back however I can. But thank you guys for taking the time this morning. I, I had a fantastic time and I, I hope this interview was good for you. Oh, absolutely. It was. We are, Again, we really appreciate you coming on and doing this with us, man. Yeah, hopefully Anthony, hopefully, Anthony, we can get you back on at some point uh, once the ECHL gets back underway for, for you guys. And uh, uh, we look forward to, you know, talking again soon. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. If you need anything in the meantime, you know where to find me. I'm always happy to help. Absolutely. Stay safe. Thank you. You guys, too. Have a good rest of your day. You, too. Well, Peter, uh, obviously, you know, a tough year for, for a guy like Anthony, um, not not getting to kind of see his uh, fair share of puck uh, in Brampton. Um, you know, a tough year all around in terms of trying to figure out how to how to make these leagues work. And, you know, obviously the ECHL decided it better to uh, call, call the year and start off fresh next season. Um, you know, something that uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on, obviously, moving forward. You can't help but feel for him, man. I mean, it, it's this is what he's been doing. This is like it's his job, you know. It's it's difficult to know that, you know, this is something that you you don't want to see, but it's happening, and it's it's it, it it's just difficult. I mean, the fact that I mean, it's great that they are coming back. Don't get me wrong, but to have one year put off because of this. It's extremely difficult, and I, I really, again, I'm probably just stumbling over my words right now because I can't find the words to describe it. It's it's difficult for anybody, and now certain teams in the ECHL are definitely feeling it, and it's a trickle down effect. No matter what you, no matter how you see it, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a pro sports league, but it's it's something that people always look forward to, no matter what. Um, obviously, you know, like you said, they are going to turn it around. They are going to, good news is going to happen for them on the horizon and wish uh, Anthony nothing but the best, no matter what. Absolutely. And, uh, obviously thank you for coming on uh, to Anthony. And, um, with that said, and, and that, that's in the books, uh, as we mentioned off the top of the show, Peter, a lot to look forward to in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've got a couple of great guests coming on, um, we look forward to uh, a great holiday season. Yes. And uh, anything, uh, anything you'd like to share with uh, with the listeners before we we shut this one down? Um, despite the uncertainty of the World Juniors, I know that the hockey writers is still putting out tremendous content right now for all the teams, all the rosters, all the projections, um, stories breaking for prospects and everything like that. Check out all the writers. I know I've got some things in the works for Team Canada right now, but a lot of great content is being produced in terms of World Junior coverage right now. Check it out. Um, the content's being it's fantastic, and we thank uh, Matt Zader for leading the charge with that. Absolutely, and uh, for those listening, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Uh, episode 19 is in the books, and obviously, as always, share with your friends. Hit, the, hit subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, follow Peter, follow myself. We've got content coming out continuously, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll get back with you next week. Absolutely. Stay safe.